Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking about ensuring the continuity of insurance cover during the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Kevin Hancock, Chair of the Society of Insurance Broking, and Mark Shepherd, Assistant Director, Head of General Insurance Policy at the Association of British Insurers. Today, we're discussing ensuring continuity of insurance cover during the COVID-19 pandemic. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Kevin and Mark. Hello, Kevin, and hello, Mark. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Morning. Hope everyone's well out there. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for finding the time to to speak to us. Uh, Much appreciated. So the ongoing corona pandemic has been widely described as an unprecedented situation. Um, Obviously, it's caused massive disruption to people's lives and to almost kind of all businesses to some degree in the UK and, and the world. How can the insurance profession continue to ensure that customers and businesses are covered during this ongoing situation? So, like, I think that, that a huge amount of work has been done to ensure that customers are still being serviced in, in clearly what are really unprecedented times and unprecedented circumstances. So, from a, an operations point of view, if you like, insurers managing the whole working from home, like a lot of industries are having to do, uh, but still managing to keep up customer communications. Um, the managing of call centres at a time when clearly people have to social distance is, is a huge issue. So there's been a really significant effort there to make sure that the, the day-to-day operations of insurers in servicing their customers can still continue. Um, I think we've seen, just to take one product as an example, in travel insurance, we've seen a, a 200% spike in inquiries over um, cancellation or travel disruption. So there's a massive resource effort going in there to make sure that those inquiries are dealt with um, effectively and dealt with quickly. I think uh, from our perspective as well, it's also important to realise that the day-to-day work of insurers and in particular claims handling is still going on in what are clearly very challenging circumstances. So uh, we'll all be aware we had the storms Kira and Dennis before COVID-19 took hold. Uh, Those claims are still ongoing. The flooding uh, of people's houses still needs to be repaired, uh, assessed and dealt with. Um, And and that's a significant challenge that's happening um, up and down the country, a total of £360 million in terms of claims that need to be processed and settled um, and repairs dealt with. So continuing to do the day-to-day servicing of customers, I think in itself, in what are really challenging circumstances, is something that should be seen as a success and that should be recognised. I'll, I'll tend to agree with that in as much as I think most brokers um, have very successfully transitioned to a working from home model. Everyone that I've spoken to seems to have settled fairly comfortably um, into the new normal or the temporary normal. Um, I think there were one or two brokers that uh, if they're not already, they'll be moving very much towards a a paperless office system for the future uh, to to help cope better with with this kind of um, situation. I think from a a cover point of view, I think that there are probably the two aspects, uh, two different groups that we ought to consider. So obviously the the consumer group first, where um, Mark has touched on 
things like travel insurance. There was a moving feast for several weeks around what the FCO advice was and what individual countries were doing uh, in terms of uh, allowing people to to travel. And and I think the the travel insurers have have dealt uh, well with those claims. And I think uh, the only issue is that obviously there has been this huge spike in activity. So um, I think it's fair to say that service standards have, have possibly slipped a little, but you know that it, it really is an unprecedented uh, workload that some of the travel insurers are having to cope with. Also within consumer market, I think household insurers have done well to uh, communicate with policyholders that they're happy with people working from home, that they're not uh, generally imposing any additional uh, terms or restrictions on cover. Uh, so actually it allows the economy to to function um, on this new temporary model. Uh, I think in, in commercial world, I think there's probably slightly uh, different pressures. Uh, obviously we've got corporate travel insurance and my previous comments refer there. Um, everyone seems to be working well. The statement that the Chancellor made some weeks ago about um, event insurance being payable uh, also very much helped those claims to to start being paid. I think it did, however, cause some confusion in the market that uh, the Chancellor's comments were misinterpreted by some as as opening some kind of door for business interruption claims. Um, and perhaps we can we can talk about um, talk about those a bit more. But uh, but in the main, for travel and event insurance, I think insurers have, have done well. And I think on business interruption, there's there's probably some more work to be done, mainly around managing expectations. Absolutely, Kevin. Um, as you've touched on there, um, business interruption has become um, a significant and somewhat contentious issue during the pandemic. Um, why is that, and and how are insurers um, now dealing with that? So I, I think this, Luke, this, from our perspective, this has clearly been a huge challenge for the industry. Um, there's no doubt about that. I think it's it's been contentious probably because there's an expectation gap between what businesses think are covered or think should be covered under business interruption policies and what the insurer believes is covered under the policy wording. Um, I agree with, with what Kevin has said in terms of the confusion early on, particularly from the government uh, and that needing clarified uh, and that not helping at the outset of this situation. I mean, business interruption is itself a very technical type of cover. Um, I think it's fair to say it's quite difficult to understand even um, as practitioners in the industry, let alone expecting businesses to, to understand it well and particularly small businesses. So that's clearly been a massive challenge. The communication issues around that are clearly a massive challenge. It is not well understood, I don't believe, that um, business interruption generally relates to damage at a business premises, for example. Clearly, some extensions will provide cover. We've put an estimate out there that um, ABI members expect to pay £900 million in business interruption claims to UK businesses. But clearly, the vast majority uh, will not be covered uh, when they expected that they would be. And that's the issue that the industry is, I think, going to have to face into for the first future. 
um, trying to repair that reputation, trying to communicate the reasons uh, why that is the case, but also communicate the reasons for the value of the product going forward. A real danger here and a real risk here is that businesses uh, perceive there not to be value in business insurance or business interruption insurance uh, going forward. And that leads to a decline in people taking that cover. I think that's right. And I think the the big issue, uh, the big two issues for me are, are managing those expectations and insurers and brokers communicating those expectations effectively with clients and um, businesses at large. I think we we do have some significant danger of, of some reputational issues. But before we, we, we talk about that, um, I just really want to recap on why a business shouldn't expect insurers to be there in, in these circumstances. You know, pandemics are a fundamental issue to a nation, to a planet, to the economy of, of both. And uh, if the insurers were there to pick up those claims, effectively, they're underwriting the losses of an entire economy. And, you know, surely that would be unsustainable. And that's the, the bit where I think there's quite a large disconnect between policyholders thinking, believing they've got cover and and, and actually what's provided within a, within a policy wording. And I think, uh, again, Mark makes a good point about people understanding the difference between uh, the material damage trigger and some some of the the non-damage extensions, particularly around uh, the public authorities clauses and the um, denial of access clauses. Um, I think I think one of the issues that we've got on a reputational basis is when we make statements like we're going to pay out nine hundred million pounds for for business interruption claims. You know, that's a big number, and I think that's inferring that there is broader cover available, there's broader indemnity available than than is the case. So I have to say I think that's something that we've we've got to be very careful of because I think that reinforces uh, the fact that um, you know are we managing expectations expectations effectively. Um, well, thank you for that insight there. As we've mentioned, this situation does provide unique challenges and there are certainly discussions to be had um, in terms of communication and, and policy wording. So moving on, what, what kind of options are available to customers who may not need or, or indeed may not think they need an insurance policy um, during the ongoing lockdown period? Policies such as motor, travel, um, liability insurance. What, what kind of advice is being given in that regard? Yeah, Luke. So I, I think the first thing I would say is that there has been a lot of flexibility shown by insurers for people who are having to adapt to the unprecedented circumstances they see themselves in. So we've seen that right across the board, really, from you know volunteers who are using their cars to get people groceries to NHS workers who might be using to need their vehicle for a different purpose than what is stated in their policy. Kevin's already mentioned the working from home dynamic and not having to speak to your insurer to let them know that you're doing that. We've had unoccupied business premises and you know not being able to necessarily secure them as might be the case in normal circumstances the extension of travel insurance cover for people stuck abroad. So I think we've seen a whole range of areas where insurers have helped people to ensure that they are continued to be covered where they need that cover. And they've been flexible around some of the terms and conditions that would be stated in the policy, recognising that um, people face extremely difficult circumstances and in many ways challenges where they're not able to meet some of those terms and conditions. 
I think when you look at motor insurance, the first thing I would say is that, you know, a, a large number of people may still need to use their vehicle. So, um, you know, whether they be key workers, whether they be using it to go to the shops or supermarket or for essential journeys. So but there will still be that legal requirement to have that insurance. So that I think that's a really important point to make. Um, there may be cases where people are looking to reduce their cover and they might look to do that from fully comprehensive to third party fire and theft, for example, even having a vehicle um, that's still on the road or, you know, parked in your driveway, there is a risk of theft of, of, of fire of damage to that vehicle, which um, people will want to be covered for. Um, there could be options if people had the option to, to declare their vehicle, uh, you know, off the road and to take out a statutory off-road notification. Um, and you can get various types of cover around that to still make sure that you're covered for accidental damage. So I think you know, there's, there's options around laid up cover that, that uh, many brokers or insurers can, can provide. So there are options around where you feel you're going to be using a motor vehicle, for example, much less to speak to your insurer um, to make clear that you feel that the, the risk is reduced um, and to look at options around where either cover or terms could be reduced or even where the insurer reflects that actually um, yes, we agree in the short term, you, you may have a reduced risk and so we may benefit you in terms of a premium refund for those circumstances. Uh, I, I would also flag though that I think there are probably some areas where the cost pressures are probably going up for insurers. So this is probably just a short term measure, it's not going to be anything long term. But when you think about the availability of parts or costs to repair motor vehicles, body shop capacity at the moment, difficulties in purchasing replacement cars. Um, all of those are, are, are going to be pressures on the insurer at the moment where claims do happen. And we've also seen, I think, the news stories of even though you know, traffic may have reduced, actually people may be driving faster and at more dangerous speeds and those could cause more substantial damage, but also more horrific injuries for people, which could lead to, to a larger payout in many circumstances. I think the, the motor point is a good one. We're seeing uh, a lot of our fleet customers not realising that if they sawn their vehicles, you know, they're not being used, uh, that actually we can obtain credits uh, for them from insurers so they can reduce their cover right down to um, laid up fire and theft and uh, we can help them to to reduce and mitigate the um, their premium spend for the future. I think one of the things that is true uh, in the motor vehicle world, that there are fewer vehicles on the road. Uh, there are fewer claims. I think we will see a trend throughout the course of this period where frequency of claim uh, has reduced. And, uh, and I think motor insurers... Uh, really ought to be looking at, at that and and therefore how they can help policyholders to uh, to mitigate their premium spend at, at, at the moment because um, I, I think I think there is a responsibility for us all to help each other. The, one of the other things that we're we're seeing um, a lot of is obviously people working from home. It means that business premises in many cases are substantially not in everyday use. Uh, 
and with with many insurers, uh, that means that they're uh, they're unoccupied within the um, policy wording. Um, uh, some insurers, most insurers, uh, have extended the length of time that they'll consider a property to be uh, unoccupied, and, and that's very helpful. And we're working with those insurers and with those policyholders to make sure that uh, we're keeping premises as, as safe as possible. And I think, you know, all brokers and and advisors, uh, you know, talk to your clients, understand what they're doing at their premises, and make sure that they're not unwittingly breaching policy conditions. The other thing I want to touch on is, is liability insurance. Now, we, we've, and again, this is this is something where we need to make sure that the policyholders uh, understand the consequences of, of, of what they might do. So we've had one or two uh, policyholders say, look, you know, I'm not trading or I'm not trading traditionally, so please cancel cover. Now, now one of the things that we've, we've got to um, got to explain uh, to the policyholders, you, you, you furloughed your staff, potentially. Um, those staff are still employees, albeit they're now, by definition, not working manually. Um, so, so you shouldn't be out without uh, employer's liability cover. Equally, uh, from a public liability point of view, you've still got premises, you've still got um, uh, products and services that, that are out in the market. Um, so, you know, we really don't want uh, people to be without cover. Um, so we are working very closely with insurers to see how we can turn down the wick on on uh, exposures and, and reflecting those exposures um, with the premiums either either now or holding them as a credit uh, against, for example, the next renewal uh, so that we can help policyholders uh, in that way. And the premium in the in the medium term will be more reflective of the risk, um, which which in many cases has reduced uh, through this this current um, uh, situation. Um, how are insurers supporting customers that have experienced financial hardship as a result of the pandemic? So we we see a range of ways really that this that this is happening across the market. Generally, it's on a on a case by case basis, um, and where insurers are having uh, either discussions with their customers directly or um, it's coming through a broker. Um, but the examples that we are seeing. Um, fall into to a number of categories, really. So we're seeing some waiving of fees or charges, for example, if someone in financial difficulty is missing a payment. Uh, we're seeing removing of fees for, for changes in cover that someone um, might want to make because of the circumstances that they're in as a result of COVID-19. Uh, a lot of insurers are offering alternative payment plans for customers. Um, if you know, it, it, it becomes clear that they they may have difficulty meeting the payment plan that they're already on. Premium holidays for an agreed length of time, I think, are becoming more and more prevalent within the market. Uh, allowing flexibility of payment for customers, so that might mean extending some of the payment timescales or freezing interest on payments if they are, are delayed, so not charging that interest or potentially delaying it so that it can be paid uh, at a later date when the customer is in a, in a better financial position. And then I think we're also seeing some, as, as Kevin's already touched on, reducing some payments to reflect um, changes in risk. So one of the examples that I would pick up on 
would be in the commercial fleet motor space, where clearly there there are a number of providers who who take out a customers who take out a commercial fleet motor insurance, but are not operating in the same way uh, with those vehicles, and we're seeing uh, reduced payments to reflect that reduced use um, and and that change in risk, if you like that that lessening of risk. Um, but I do think that that is is likely as a as a short term mechanism. Um, and once things get back to normal, whenever that might be, um, it could be the case that we actually see um, an increased use of, of motor vehicles compared to, to previously as people are, are less keen to use things like public transport. So that in itself could create actual additional risks for motor insurers um, in the future. I think payment holidays, um, we're, we're definitely seeing, we're, we're seeing those from insurers and we're seeing them from the third party uh, premium finance companies. Um, the difficulty that that we have, of course, and, and I think I think policyholders get this, is that we're still working within the confines of, a, of an annual policy um, and, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be right um, to overhang the payments of a, of a policy that's, that's you know got a finite um, period of time so so i think i think everybody is being um as helpful as they can uh with with payment holidays uh and the like um we've also seen a, a good few uh, examples of insurers being uh sympathetic um uh, during the course of renewal uh to to make sure that uh they're reflecting the, the current and the anticipated risk rather than if you like kind of the historical pattern uh, of a business so so i think brokers and insurers uh, are working well together generally uh, in those circumstances uh, and i think probably i would just urge all insurers and for that matters brokers with their clients to to keep communicating the options that are out there just that people as their circumstances change are reminded that there is help available for them Yes, it's fantastic to hear some of the um, support that's being offered to, to customers and that insurers are being flexible and, and con continuing to communicate with consumers. Um, uh, a final point to, to raise to you both. How do you feel insurers can assess how they provide pandemic cover to businesses um, in the future if, um, God forbid, this were to happen um, again? Um, how can insurers adapt and, um, and what work can they do to, to prepare for, for the future? So, so Luke touched a bit on this on, on one of his earlier answers, and, and, I, and I fully agree with what he said in terms of the ability for an insurance model really to, to work in this space. Um, I think from my perspective, what COVID-19 has demonstrated is the, the effect that global pandemics can have in terms of widespread impact on a massive scale all at once. So it is difficult, as I say, to envisage how a pure, pure insurance model can be used to cope with such a systemic risk. Um, the principle, if you like, of many paying for the few doesn't really work if all are affected at once. But saying that, I think there are a number of things that, that need to be considered. Clearly, there's a, there's a yearning and there's a desire out there to have some sort of scheme that would mean that businesses are better uh, protected against the risk of pandemics in the future. And I think insurance can play a part in that. But that fundamentally, given the scale of the risks, it would require significant government uh, subsidy or government involvement. 
the reality is that insurers don't have the balance sheet to be able to provide widespread cover for for global pandemics and their mass effects. Um, and so there is a need to rely on that government balance sheet. You know, you know, clearly there's been, you know, a lot of talk about a pandemic re and how that could be, or how that, you know, could be a, a solution to the problem. But I think there's probably been much less talk about how that would actually work and what are the kind of fundamentals to that pandemic re-scheme that we'd need to apply for it to be successful. I think for me, there's four key points to that. The first is it needs to work for businesses. So you, we, the industry needs to come up with a model that will provide sufficient cover to businesses for it to be meaningful. Clearly, the massive scale of risks means that's a challenge if that is to be in any way affordable. So there is no point creating something that provides a kind of token or meaningless payout to businesses when when these happens. It needs to be uh, substantial enough that they can rely on it as a way to allow them to recover. I think the second is it needs to work for the government. So ultimately, I think we're going to need taxpayers' money here to help deal with these risks in the future. So any type of pandemic re-scheme with government backing needs to be preferable to the government schemes that we have seen announced. Um, it needs to be better value for money and it needs to work better in terms of a flow and support uh, payment to businesses. I think it probably needs to have cross-party political support as well. And that's the third one. So it needs to be sustainable from a political perspective. And then fourth, it needs to work for insurers. If insurers are going to be involved in the model, it needs to work for insurers and for brokers. So that's in terms of being able to underwrite the risk, to be able to model the risk, but knowing that there is a government backstop to it, to be able to adapt policy wording, uh, for brokers to be able to go out and sell the benefits of it to businesses who will still need to want to purchase pandemic uh, insurance. Uh, for systems to be able to work, to you know, interact with a government-backed reinsurance model. We've seen how that can be a challenge in other areas in establishing pool re and flood re. So there's a lot of detail, I think, that still needs to be worked through in terms of how uh, a model to protect businesses against uh, the risk of pandemics could be developed in the future. But I think it's really important that we lean into those conversations and that government are a central part of, of any model going forward for the reasons that I've, that I've outlined. I, I tend to agree uh, with Mark uh, on, on this. And, and I, I, I'm not sure I can see, if, if we're talking particularly about business interruption type covers, I'm not sure I can see how pandemic re um, uh, can build the critical mass that it would need uh, in order to to be useful and to sustain that kind of loss in in future um, if we draw the parallel with with poolry um, and terrorism you know we, we haven't got a situation here where where you know the kind of there is terrorism everywhere and it's affecting it the whole of the UK economy. And if that was the case, then Paul Reed wouldn't have enough money in its pot to settle those claims. So read that across the pandemic, Re. Um, uh, I, I'm just not convinced that it's, it's something that, that's possible to fund, which is why I think it is uh, fundamentally um, a governmental risk. I think there are also some other issues around 
the policies or policyholders' appetites to to buy cover. So, so again, if we use the the terrorism example, you know, Paul Reed's penetration outside of of the the major conurbations um, is is very low, is very limited. Um, now, I think with the benefit of hindsight, you'll have lots of policyholders saying, you know, potentially, well, if pandemic cover had been available, then of course I'd have bought it. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure I subscribe to that. Um, the other issue you've got is, is that there's some businesses where you have to think very carefully about how any cover would help them. So, so take, for example, a haulage business where they might not have physical premises other than a yard. You know, business interruption cover doesn't really help them in any way, yet they, they will still suffer the, the potentially the downturn in business that, that everyone else is suffering in the economy. So, so there's those kind of uh, factors in place to, you know, that we would need to really understand um, how something like, like this would work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a very, very uh, difficult subjects that uh, that someone somewhere you know might have you know much much brighter mind than me that uh, thinks that they can solve this well thank you Kevin and thank you Mark for speaking to us today um, I appreciate there's a, a huge amount to cover and um, I'm sure that will be of massive interest to our, our listeners so um, thank you both for joining us on CII radio today thanks Luke thanks Mark. Excellent. And thank you for listening. Uh, to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at CII Group and you can follow the Society of Insurance Broking at Broking Society. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.